This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, what's going on, everybody? How you doing? What's up? Episode 283, Talking Buffalo Podcast, presented today by our friends over at 26 Shirts. Um, Thanks, as always, for tuning in. And <laughs> what a good week this is to be a Buffalo sports fan. Buffalo Bills survive in advance, quite literally. Buffalo Sabres get their season started, hopefully, anyway, barring any setbacks this week. I'm joined right now by recurring guest, good friend of mine, sports media personality, Joe Yurden. What's going on, Joe? How you doing? Doing all right, Pat. It's uh, it's been pretty wild here. I got <laughs> I, I know we're going to get into it with the Bills, but it um, it was pretty raucous around the neighborhood on Sunday. Once, once everything or on uh, Saturday, once everything settled out, it was it was pretty impressive to see, especially after hearing about how it gets here in playoffs, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it's uh yeah, pretty good. Pretty good week. I got to say everything. Everybody's got to be really excited for sure. You know, this was the first time. So I've been in Florida for f- about four and a half years now, and I'm obviously always rooting for Buffalo with everything. I mean, I'm a Buffalonian. Mm-hmm. I'm a Buffalonian for life, whether I move back or not. Spoiler alert. I am <laughs> moving back. But anyway, my point is this. This was the first time in probably four and a half years where I got legitimately jealous that I wasn't in Buffalo this past week. I wanted to, I mean, I just got an opportunity to go up for Christmas. Didn't really get to do much, but just being in the city was cool. Then I came Mm -hmm. back home here to Florida. But this week with the playoffs going on, just, I mean, you kind of spoke of it a little bit, just raucous, the vibe (laughs) in Western New York, man. It was something that, you know, it's fun. Like I watched the Bills game with a group of people, but, people who are also from Buffalo down here. And I've talked about this on the show. I, I walked to a Walmart or a Publix with some Bills gear on. I've been sticking out my chest a little bit more proud, you know, a little more extra proud because the Bills are doing so well. But yeah, this was, I was legitimately jealous. I, I mean, it, as fun as it is to live in other cities and still support your hometown team, it's never the same as being in the town. And even with COVID and all the restrictions and stuff going on, it just, the vibe felt to me, like it was just a really special week to be in Buffalo. Yeah, and I got to tell you, you know, you know, it, talk a lot about where I where I live in Buffalo, basically, basically West Side. Sure. And uh, you know, I went out, was outside a little bit before the game had started, and I I took a, took two steps outside my front door, and I could smell like people were were like having a fire in the backyard. At least I at least I was hoping it was a fire. It turns out, yeah, what you know, they were <laughs> it was a very very controlled controlled burn sort of situation. But but people were were hanging out in the backyards, putting a TV out there or, you know, listening to the radio or something. And hanging out back you know, outside 
get the fire going. You know, it wasn't that cold considering it's <laughs> considering it's the middle of January in Buffalo and it probably should be, you know, below zero, but, um, but you know, 30 degrees and sunny outside. So it was like sunny for the first time in like two weeks and people had the fire going and they're watching the game outside. And, um, and every time there was a, there was a big stop or bill score, you could, I could hear people in the neighboring buildings. I could hear the people outside just hooting and hollering and shouting. And, you know, once the game was over, I mean, it was really easy to figure out who won because you got, you got people driving up and down the street doing the let's go Buffalo honks on the cars. There's people outside just shouting, just, you know, just big guttural. Yeah. Like just, you know, the hate, you know, doing the shout song all over the place. Like I was like, man, this is one game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the first, I mean, it's the first playoff win in 25 years. So it's a big deal. Like I, I, I get that, but I'm, I, I start thinking forward, like what, okay, what if this continues? <laughs> What's it going to be like? And the funny story is uh, I had a, I had a, had a teacher in grade school who was like one of my favorite teachers and she, she moved to Buffalo. She ended up going to teach in, in Lancaster, I think. And this was at the height of when the bills were a super bowl team every year. And, you know, we, you know, being the, being the nerd that I was, you know, writing a letter to the old teacher to be like, Hey, what's it like there? You know, cause I was a big sports dork and I was like, what's it like there with the super bowl. And she, you know, she wrote back saying like, everybody's in bill's gear. Everybody's going wild. It's really something else. And I was like, ah, I can't really be like that. And yeah. I mean, living here seeing, you know, even though the bills were bad, you know, when I first got here, um, seeing that was still the case, even though they were bad, I was like, "Well, what's it going to be like when they get, if they get good again?" Now they're good, and now I'm like, "Oh boy!" Yeah, this <laughs> is like, this is I, new I don't for know you. I'm ready for this, man. <laughs> yeah, this is this is all new for you. Like I said, it's not that like you're that young, and you've been in Buffalo for a while. Like you're a legit Buffalonian at this point, but <laughs> pretty much. I mean, look, it's been 1996 was the last time they even had a home game, and 95 was the last time that they won a home game in the playoffs. The Sabres mm-hmm. haven't made the playoffs in seemingly forever. So it's like, yeah, you've been around for quite a while now, but this has got, it's, it's all new to you, man. The success of yeah. Buffalo and just how crazy and rabid the, you know, the town could be. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when they, you know, when they first made this, you know, when they made Super Bowl 25, um, my, my perspective on that was a little different. I, my sister, my sister's funny. I think my sister just liked to, uh, she likes to stir the pot. And she was like, I'm a Bills fan. And my dad, my dad's been a Giants fan since he was a kid. So, you know, suddenly my sister taking, you know, my sister always liked the Seahawks stuff growing up and everything. And my dad was like, okay, I'll get you a Seahawks shirt. She had like a Steve Largent t-shirt or something like that. And then suddenly she was a Bills fan. And my dad's like, what's that all about? And she's just like, I don't know. They're fun. And <laughs> I was kind of <laughs> like, I know what, I know what this is about. She's just trying to get you stirred up. But, um, but like once, you know, but like, you know, watching that back then, it's a little skewed and, you know, granted being what, 11, 10, 11, 12 years old, wherever I was and that, you know, when, when that was going down, um, seeing it play out that way and, you know, growing up in a giant house, you know, the bills were just kind of like, well, they're in the AFC. So that, that it doesn't really matter. And, you know, other friends of mine were either Jets fans or Cowboys fans or, you know, what have you. And, um, so like seeing the, seeing a bills giants thing, firsthand was very skewed by the giants and, and growing up with that. But a lot of people that I grew up with were just like, nobody was really a bills fan, which was weird because you think they would have been on TV constantly. Um, even in all in the Albany area, but you know, it was, it was so much of a giant, it was so much of a, more of an NFC 
area that it was, you know, there was really anything AFC. I mean, there was a lot of like older, you know, people older than me that were like either Steelers or Dolphins fans because that's, you know, that's what they had growing up in the seventies. And it was like, well, that, that kind of makes sense. And, um, but yeah, but like nobody was really a Bills fan and it took me growing up and getting into my twenties to find other Bills fans, especially, you know, when I, when I went out to Oswego for school, you know, you, you get to central New York, suddenly there's a lot more Bills fans around and you're like, Oh yeah, you guys are a thing. And by the time I was there, that was, I think when I first showed up at Oswego, when I transferred there, uh, that was, <laughs> that was right as the, uh, the game with the Titans happened, the, uh, uh, the Frank Wycheck game, and that my view is my view of that was basically like, well, the Bills being a playoff team every year from now on is dead. And yeah. One of the guys at our TV station was just like, no, 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 there's they still got it. I was like, no, man, the, the run's over. Like this is it. I was <laughs> like, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna hear a lot more out of them for at least a little while. I wasn't aware that it was gonna be that long, but um, but yeah, but like that was but like that's how it was. Like that's. You know, going from going from growing up in an area where there weren't very many, at least not people who were outward Bills fans, to being here where it's you're a fan of another team around here, either you don't know about it or you just kind of are like, well, I I I I hope the Bills do okay. Like that's nice for everybody else. Yeah, I'll tell you, the culture has really changed in the last handful of years or so because, like, when I came down here to Florida it was 2016, so that would go on to be the 17th and final year where they didn't make the playoffs because in 2017, they did make it. But even being a Bills fan in another state, and I'm sure it's that way everywhere outside of Western New York, like people recognize you got your Bills hat on or your Bills shirt and you hear the go Bills. I mean, there's always Bills fans all over, but it was kind of more of a, uh, you know, like a badge of courage almost to be a Bills fan because of all the suffering going on, you know, to use a Darcy Regeer term with all the suffering, just not being very good. Now it's different. I see a lot more Bills fans are a lot louder. There's many more of them. And uh, like I said, they're more enthusiastic. And it's just great to see, you know, even no matter what happens on Saturday night, and we'll talk about that in just a couple minutes, but no matter what happens, like the Buffalo Bills are relevant again. And I, you know, you can make an argument. I'd be willing to bet. I mean, forget the, the Buffalo polls. If you put out a national poll, I would not be the least bit shocked if the Bills were probably the most popular team in the NFL right now at least certainly among the teams that are left. That's the sense that I get it. And I truly feel that from a lot of, and again, being in Florida, I get a better perspective because everybody in Buffalo is a Bills fan. Down here, it's transplant city. So, I mean, I'm hanging out with Eagles fans, Washington fans, Dallas fans, all kinds of fans, Green Bay fans. And you can just see, it seems to me like Buffalo is a very well-liked team around the league right now. That That's my take. That's that's the sense that I get for sure. You know, I, I think it's because it's it's, it's got the, it's got the full underdog feel because everybody like the, the four Super Bowls in a row, isn't that far gone right like, out of memory. Like that's, you know, I think about it. It's like, Oh, it was just the nineties. And now I think back, I'm like, Oh, that was 30 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But like, you know, it, it's not so far gone out of memory. Like the, the replays and the, you know, you watch, you know, leading up to super, you know, the Super Bowl game, um, you know, ESPN will show like all the highlight reels of all the past Super Bowls. And like those games are still very vivid in memory. You know, everybody remembers Whitney Houston singing the national anthem before 25. Every, you know, I mean, like that's like one of the iconic things. Like that's just a, it was just such a huge deal. And people remember like how good those teams were. They remember how great Bruce Smith was. They remember how great Thurman was and Andre Reed and Jim Kelly, like all those guys, like, 
you, you can't, you can't not think about that. You think, well, geez, all it took was win one of those games and everybody's, you know, everything chills out. And, you know, for being bad for so long, it makes them such a, it makes them such an underdog favorite because now it's like, you can't root against them. Like, right. if you, <laughs> you know, you have to be a special kind of, Asshole. <laughs> either, either. Well, yeah, you get. Well, well, yeah, you got to be a special kind of prick to be like, no, f those guys. Like, right. Even, even if you're a fan of like another team in the AFC East, like I don't know, maybe Miami or the Jets. I, you know, maybe the uh, Jets fans are just sore at everybody, and I imagine Dolphins fans aren't exactly geeked up. But like, you know, Patriots fans, like Patriots, you know, Bills have been irrelevant to them forever. So like, what do they care? But I mean. If you're a fan of like a team outside the AFC East, if you're rooting against Buffalo, it's kind of like, what's your problem? Like, right. what, like, yeah. like, who hurt you? Like, what, like, what, what happened in your life to make you say, like, no, screw them? Like, that's, I mean, there's, there's only a handful of teams where I think that's the case. I think Buffalo's one, Cleveland's another, and Detroit's the third. I mean, everybody else is just kind of like, you know, you can, you can find it. You can, you can pick something to be like, no, screw them. Like, even like a even like a team like the Falcons, you can be like, well, no, don't blow a twenty eight three lead against the Patriots, you, you bricks. I hope you lose forever, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know. But like everybody else is just kind of like, well, you you guys have been through a lot. I hope I hope you do something. Even Cincinnati, like I think Cincinnati, he could throw into that too, because they haven't won a playoff game since what eighty nine since they went to the Super Bowl. Like it's crazy. It like, is. I mean, they've been to the playoffs a bunch, but like. Well, they keep playing Pittsburgh in the first round and getting Carson Palmer gets his knees taken out or some other dumb or Marvin Lewis can't figure out how to coach a game. So yeah. like, you know, it's, it, it's, but like, that's the spot Buffalo's in. They're in a real sweetheart spot. That's why if they end up playing, you know, if it ends up being an AFC title game against Cleveland, it's like, Oh boy, one team's going to end up going on to suffer way more. And that really sucks. <laughs> I just, it's, it's a distinct, but it is a real possibility of a Buffalo Cleveland game. I'll tell you, Cleveland, don't count them out against Kansas City. They're mm-hmm. Cleveland's a good football team, and if they can play some decent defense, they can run the ball. They Cleveland can play with them. I'm not ready to dismiss Cleveland as having no chance. Now, I very much wanted Pittsburgh to win on uh, Sunday night because I wanted to play the Steelers and not Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And again, we'll talk about that in a second. Before that, though, let's spend a couple of minutes at least talking about the game. And by the way, one more thing, too. Props to everybody who got tickets for the game because that was fun watching it unfold on Twitter. I'm, I follow a lot or at least enough like hardened Buffalo Bills fans. And just the joy that some of these guys and girls got from being able to get tickets and actually be in the stadium after the year that we've all had, even if it was in a limited capacity, it's better than nothing. And it's a start. So I was really happy for a lot of those people. But in terms of the game, Joe, I mean, speak a little bit about the Bills growth as a team, because all these things happened during this game. Okay. I thought Phillip Rivers played well. 309 mm-hmm. yards, two touchdowns, didn't throw an interception, didn't get sacked once. Uh, the Colts ran for over 160 yards. I thought they had a great game plan on both sides of the ball. Uh, they controlled the ball for over 34 minutes. Uh, they were mm-hmm. 9 of 17 on third down. They dominated field position pretty much all day. Brian Dable, who I mean, I obviously love him, but he had some interesting play call decisions. They only got 42 yards from their two running backs. Uh, the Bills did not force a turnover. Again, no sacks. They ran 18 fewer plays. They got completely screwed on what could have been a critical official decision at the end of the game. And I say <clears> all <throat> that, and they still won. That's yeah. amazing to me. In a playoff game against a good football team, all those things went against Buffalo, but 
And again, speak to this a little bit just about, you know, whether from your experience of covering hockey too and, and covering good hockey teams or following good hockey teams, it speaks to the growth of a team when you can overcome all those things and still find a way to win. Yeah, uh, you know, that's, I, I, in, in, I, I think when, you know, once all the playoffs are over and we'll see how everything goes, but if things go really well for Buffalo the rest of the way, this, this game against the Colts is going to look like the one that kind of set the table because sure. that, because the way the Colts played, they, they played almost a perfect game. Like, you know, I, you know, you, you get a perfect game out of rivers who we've seen in the, in the playoffs in the past is prone to throw like that one big pick or three big picks in a game. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it throws for a ton of yards and does whatever, but, um, but their offense was able to do a lot, you know, and I, you know, and I, I think the way, you know, I think, I think, you know, Buffalo fans are going to look at the way the deep played that game and say, well, oh, geez, uh, this gives me a reason to pause, which, Hey, fair. We've seen that out of the defense on occasion this year, but, um, but I mean, the Colts have Colts have weapons, you know, it's not like they're a team with a bunch of nobodies, you know, rivers is well-respected. Uh, Naheem Hines is a damn good back. He's he's very yeah. good. Uh, you know, T.Y. Hilton's a, a fantastic receiver. Like there's, there's a lot of parts to that team where you're like, okay, that, that team can do it. And Frank Reich seems to be a pretty damn good coach himself. So there's a lot of parts that work and their defense is really good. You know, like that's a top 10, top 15, you know, top, I think they're a top 10 defense in the league. So, I mean, it's not like they're, you know, they were some pushover team. I mean, they still went 11 and five, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that, that was not an, that was not an easy game for Buffalo, even though that's, even though Indy was the team that squeaked in. Right. Indy had no glaring weaknesses. That's the thing about that team. Like they didn't, they might not have been elite at any one position, but they're pretty good everywhere across the board. Like there's no glaring weakness on the Indianapolis Colts. And I thought we saw that on Saturday. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think given the way everything else broke down, uh, this week with, with the other matchups, I mean, you know, it sure seems like, I mean, I mean, it, it seemed that way towards the, you know, the last few games of like Pittsburgh seemed like they were the weakest team out of everybody. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, they get whomped on by Cleveland early and Cleveland tried to give it back to them, but like, you know, still Pittsburgh, you know, big Ben's done. Yeah. Um, and Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh looks like a shell of itself now, especially the way the, the, the season ended up. But, um, but as far as the bills go, I mean, they, they were able to do everything that, that they wanted to. And, you know, the Colts did the right thing, you know, control the clock, try to keep their offense, t- try to keep Buffalo's offense off the field because they will hurt you. Um, because they, you know, because they're able to, they're able to get great protection around Allen. Um, and even if things break down, Allen can scamper away and get you to the yards. And, you know, they've got enough receivers to get stuff done. They've gotten, you know, they've got enough pieces to be dangerous. That's, that's kind of the spot Kansas city, well, that's exactly what has made Kansas City really dangerous the last couple of years is that, you know, Mahomes can get away. They've got a ton of people he can throw to. He's got a huge arm, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So, you know, the, the way this goes now, you know, they got to deal with Baltimore. Baltimore, I, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to figure them out. They've been, they've been a mystery to me all year. Jackson's great. Their receivers don't really scare me. They, they can apparently run the ball pretty well. Um, and their defense, you know, I, I think their defense is the same sort of up and down as Buffalo's, where it's like one week they look great, another week not so great. Sure, but but like Buffalo, man, I, I tell you, the, I, the way this breaks down, I think it would have been better off had Pittsburgh won because I think I think Buffalo playing Pittsburgh, I think that's a up here. I think that's a that's a total trample through. I think they would have I think they would have rolled Pittsburgh. I think Baltimore is a little bit scarier, but um, but I love the way this breaks down because I think. 
you know, Cleveland's going to be able to give Kansas City a bit of a game. Um, I don't trust Cleveland's defense in any way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, but KC against anybody is going to be scary, but KC against Cleveland defense, like, okay. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think for anybody in the AFC, I think it, it, whoever comes through, I think they're going to be sitting pretty good because I don't like any of the teams in the NFC. Um, and that includes Green Bay. I think Green Bay's got some pretty big faults too, but, um, but I don't like any of the teams. I don't like any of the teams in the NFC, to be honest. And uh, I, to me, it's it's setting up to be like one of those years, like where you watch one conference over the other, and you're just like, man, whoever wins that conference is gonna is gonna roll with the title. This is one of those years, I think, for for the NFL because the AFC, every AFC team left, I think, can win it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'll tell you, I'm not when you're uh, when you're not used to having a team be in the playoffs. You just you don't care who you play. You're like, I want to play whoever. I'm not gonna lie about it. I very much, I was very openly and blatantly rooting for Pittsburgh on Sunday Night Football. I would have much rather played the Steelers. I think they're a much better matchup. I mean, it goes mm-hmm. without saying, they can't run the football. It's as simple as yeah. that. The receivers drop a lot of passes, and you saw why last night. I mean, Big Ben threw four interceptions. Now, granted, he threw mm-hmm. 500 yards and four touchdowns. He also threw the ball, I think, 195 times last night. <laughs> but, you know, they, like that team had, I had no fear in them. Plus, I liked Baltimore against Kansas City because I think, frankly, the Ravens would have had an excellent chance to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, and then that puts the Bills mm-hmm. and the AFC Championship at home. And so, so if I'm going to be admit that I think the Ravens had an excellent chance to beat the Chiefs, I'd be lying if I said that the Ravens don't have an excellent chance to beat the Bills as well. But before talking about them, going back to the indie game, look, Josh Allen played very good, okay? He wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. But he played very well. That drive before the end of the first half was incredible, and it was huge. I yep. love Josh mm-hmm. Allen. Uh, Stephon Diggs continues to be amazing. And six catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. I love that guy, man. But mm-hmm. you know, well, you know what I kept thinking that aside because that's those are the obvious bullets points to hit on. I kept thinking in my mind as I'm um, going through this game, Brandon Bean and this draft this year. You didn't think much of it this year, and I certainly didn't either. Uh, AJ Epinesa in round two because they didn't have a first round pick. Zach Moss mm-hmm. in round three. They've been okay. All right. But look at this game and the impact that two rookies who are, for the most part, unheralded rookies had on this on this win. That Before that uh, drive near the end of the first half, Gabriel Davis, not once, twice. Two amazing toe drag catches that set up that mm-hmm. Bills touchdown before the half. And then to have a rookie kicker like Tyler Bass come in and drill a 54-yarder with room to spare, dead smack in the middle of the field or in between the goalposts in a playoff game, that's huge, man. Those are two rookies who have been, again, kind of under the radar, incredible for the Bills this year, man. And that, to me, is a, a testament of a good football team that just gets it, the organization. They draft well. Those guys had yeah. a huge impact in that game on Saturday. And I say that the emergence of Davis is, is really impressive given that when, you know, while the draft was clicking down, and you know everybody's waiting for the Bills to pick in the second round, and we're watching these receivers pop off the board, yeah, and people are just like, "Oh, geez, they, the Bills got to get a guy. They got to get a guy. Like they need, they need help. They need help." You know, because John, you know, John Brown's good. You know, you know, they, they, I forget if the Diggs trade had already been made or not, but whether you know whether it had or not, you're still like, you need another guy, right? And you know, I think at that point, everybody was still talking about what's uh, what's his face Foster. Yeah, uh, from last year, yeah, Foster, where everybody's just like, oh, and they cut him, and everybody's like, no, he's a, he's a guy, you got to keep him, and you know, it turns out that 
that turned out to be okay that they moved on from him because Gabe Davis turned out to be a pretty damn good pick because, uh, and it says a lot about the scouting where, you know, it's not necessarily true that, you know, receivers are just kind of, you know, you can replace one for another, but when you're in a draft situation, man, it, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird when you're trying to scout out a receiver because lots of guys who are so great at the college level, either, you know, whether it's an ego thing or if it's, you know, this, that, or the other thing, uh, it just doesn't click for them in the, when they reach the NFL. And we've seen it happen with so many guys. Lord knows I've seen it as a Detroit fan. I could run down a list of <laughs> a whole list of guys, but, um, but like seeing a guy like Davis, who's, you know, he was a mid round pick, you know, Hey, hey you're a mid draft pick. And it, it turns out to work out great because he just goes all out and gets done. Like, that's awesome. And I tell you what, Tyler Bass, like him, his improvement through the year shows a lot about sticking to it because I remember, you remember the first couple of games of the year, he was just missing he was booting extra points. He was missing chip shots, field goals. And everybody's like, what's Stephen Hoshka up to? Maybe they need to bring him back. And they just stuck to their guns. They just said, nope, nope, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to feel this out. We're going to give him more opportunities. And, you know, if he can't do it, then we got to go find a guy, but let's see if he figures it out. And he has, and, you know, they loved him for the big leg. I mean, he was, he was a big time kicker at Georgia Southern. So, I mean, it's, it, it's really nice to see things like work out like that because so many times people look at kickers as, as disposable. Like, yeah, you can find another one. Well, yeah, you can, but is that guy going to be any good that you just picked up or, is, you know, is it worth it to try to figure it out with him? Well, I, look, we talk about Josh Allen and the progression of it taking him three years to become an elite player. Uh, Tyler Bass has went from being somebody who the muscles in my back and my neck would start to cringe every time he walked on the field after the first <laughs> month of the year. And I very much remember people saying, let's give Hoshka a look. I think he went to Jacksonville for one week, missed like a 35 yard field goal. And that was it for his career. But anyway, I, mm-hmm. I remember that chatter and because it was, it was stressful watching him kick. Every kick looked stressful. Now they weren't mm-hmm. all his fault. A couple were bad holds, but yeah, he's been sensational. And like I said, again, Davis seven touchdowns as a rookie had four catches for 85 yards against the Colts. I don't think they beat the Colts were not for a couple of those plays that uh, Davis mm-hmm. made. Let me ask you one more thing about that game, too, before we move on. So, Hail Mary at the end of the game, were you, were you cringing a little bit? Because we've seen it twice this year. Arizona and then the other game at the Frisco game, which didn't end up mattering, whatever. But uh, I was. I was a little – I was not ready to uh, celebrate. I was cringing during that Hail Mary. <laughs> I think you get tight just because you you can't forget what happened at Arizona. Uh, I, think, I think you're just tight because of that. But – I, I don't know situations like that. And granted, I can't really speak to it when it comes to my own stupid football team. But, um, but when I see things like that, that happen to good team, you know, when things like that happen to good teams, they don't forget that they don't let it sit there and fester and go like, Oh, geez, what if it happens again? They go, no, this is not happening. Not now, not again. We've already seen what had happened. We hated that. Um, let's make sure this doesn't happen again. And, you know, I listen, the Colts have history with, with having, you know, Hail Marys at the end of games where you're just like, Oh boy, what's going to happen? Yeah. I can't help but think of that game, that game. Jim against Harbaugh. The they were what, uh, who, what, who it was, was Jim, Har- Jim Harbaugh was a quarterback, yeah. I believe for the Colts. I forget who the receiver was, but ah, he, I almost, can't he almost makes that catch in the, you know, I mean, that was just to see who was going to go get their teeth kicked in by the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I think it was 49ers or Cowboys. But I mean, still, you're just kind of like, oh boy, that was, 
that was really close. And, you know, weird things happen, man. You know, weird <laughs> things happen all the time in football. But I think in the, this case of the Bills, like, yeah, you're worried. And, like, every, of course, everybody here is just going to be like, oh, God, not again. You know, you had Wycheck. You had Kyler Murray this year. You ha- you've, you've had all sorts of other awful bad beats. Of course you're thinking it here. But, like, this team's a little different. Like, you know, they they had that experience already. They already know knew how bad it felt. So, Make sure to knock it down. I just keep hearing Chris Berman and Tom Jackson and the entire old NFL primetime crew screaming, knock it down, knock it down when that, when that play is <laughs> happening. You know, it's the, the biggest difference between this Bills team and for many, many, many years, going all the way back to the Super Bowl years, frankly, is not even so much the record for me. It's that every single time the Bills come on the field, I feel like they're going to score. I'm not They don't always score, but I always feel like they're going to score. And they're going to have to score next week. They're not going to win scoring 14, 17 points. Baltimore, look, I think it's okay to say that you think the Bills could beat Baltimore because I certainly think the Bills could beat Baltimore, but Mm -hmm. it is, to me anyway, of all the wildcard teams, far and away the worst matchup for the Bills, to me, personally, because, I mean, this, first of all, Baltimore's really hot, all right? They've won, I think, six straight now. Now, to be fair, four of them were against shitty teams. They played the Jags, Dallas, (laughs) Cincy, the Giants. But, yo, they handled business at Tennessee on Sunday. They won well. I think it's a bad matchup for Buffalo because Baltimore's strength is running the football. Buffalo's weakness at times this year has been stopping the run. And there's one other low-key thing that concerns me. The Bills have had a lot of trouble this year covering tight ends, all right? Even against the Colts. The Colts had a lot of success uh, through the year. It was not one guy. It was three guys. But Jack Doyle had, like, seven catches. Yep. And uh, Cox had four and... Trey Bird had three, so they had like 14 catches between three tight ends on Saturday for well over 100 yards. Baltimore firing away their best weapon on offense after Lamar Jackson. Of course, I'm talking about the pass catchers is the tight end, Andrews. So that is a matchup that horrifies me. They got a pretty good second, not a great secondary, a good secondary. And you kind of said it, the Baltimore defense reminds me a lot of the Buffalo defense because they can look really dominant one week and then very exploitable the next Let's hope for the latter because, uh, like I said, Josh Allen, look, the Bills are not going to, and plus the Bills are not going to run the ball on Baltimore. The Bills don't run the ball on anybody, basically. At this point, it is Josh Allen. You're going to go as far as Josh Allen takes you. How do you feel about this matchup going into it? And like I said, it obviously we all wanted to see Pittsburgh, but it didn't work out that way. Like, what's your level of confidence? I, I feel pretty confident in Buffalo. Um, but it, it, this is this is really mirror this is a mirror game for me. Like both of these, I mean, Buffalo is the better team. Um, let's not, let's not get it confused and say like, this is a coin flip. It's not, um, if it's a coin flip, it's a weighted coin, um, right. more heavily with, with Buffalo. But, um, but this is like, this is, this is one where I, I, I you know, Alan's having a better season. He's got the better receivers. Um, you're right about the tight end thing. And the tight end thing makes me think, you know, Buffalo likes to, they like to attack the quarterback using the linebackers, you know, whether they're sending Edmonds or if there's, you know, if they're going to send Milano or doing something like that, having to, having to spend guy or two of them to have to shadow those tight ends, because you don't want to, you know what, you don't want to send the say, you don't want to send Hyde after him because, you know, you know, if they get a receiver to spin out deep, Jackson's got the arm. Um, but also you got to worry about Jackson taking off running. So you got to spy him. So like there's, you know, the, the tight end thing is such a big deal 
in respect to the in, in respect to their offense because if you're going to use the linebackers to cover the tight ends, well, you got to you got to use a linebacker to, cover, to to at least keep an eye on Jackson someplace because if you don't, he's going to take off and then suddenly you're losing chunks of yards just because he's going to run. And uh, that that to me is that to me is a big part of the problem. Now, can Buffalo do it right back to him? Absolutely, they can do that sort of thing. The only problem is Buffalo's tight ends aren't as trustworthy. Um, you know, whether it's Knox or Croft or whatever, I know Knox, you know, he got his touchdown. That's good. Um, but those guys, I, I think the face in their hands, not as great. Um, and the receivers are better. Like yeah. <laughs> flat out Diggs is better. Davis is better than whoever, whoever Baltimore's number three would probably better than whoever Baltimore's number two receiver is. And, you know, Beasley running loose underneath. Good luck. <laughs> you know, good luck trying to try to figure out where he's going because he's going to be Allen safety valve. So that to me, it, 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 it's it, it's similar styles of attack, but but it's but it's deployed differently. It's faster guys underneath for Buffalo, where the tight ends for for Baltimore, bigger targets. They're must you know they're they're a lot stronger. Um, they're not going to beat you you know deep unless it's Andrews. But like you know Andrews isn't a big speedy guy. But like you know if he's chewing off twenty five yards a catch, well that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I do like Buffalo more. I think Buffalo's D is gonna, is is a little bit better. Um, I like him to win, but I, it's not one where if I'm a gambling guy, I don't know if I'm throwing a lot of money on either team to try to make some money because it's, it's that close of a call. I know the opening line was what two Buffalo given two and a half. Yeah. Two and a half. Yeah. So like, you know, that alone says that Vegas is like, you know, home team usually gives lays three in general. Like even that tells you that Vegas is kind of like, eh, I don't know. This has got a this has got a field goal difference game written on written all over it. I could tell. I got a sense just watching ESPN on Monday morning that um, you, there's always going to be a game where I'm using air quotes here. Experts want to pick an underdog, and I feel like this mm-hmm. is going to be a game where a lot of analysts out there pick the Ravens, which is fine. And again. It's going to all be about, for me, it's all about stopping the run. And, and I am obviously including Lamar Jackson. Because if I look at these numbers, I mean, they're almost historically good. The last six games, mm-hmm. they've ran for 236 against Tennessee, 404 against the Bengals, 249 against the Giants, 159 against the Jags, 231 against Cleveland, and 294 against Dallas. That's mind-blowing. It does not take a genius even an armchair quarterback like you and I can figure out <laughs> Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott are 1 trillion percent going to commit to the run and having somebody like whether it's Edmonds, whether it's Teron Johnson, I could see that happening. Hyde, there's going to be a spy on Lamar a lot. And they're going to be like, you know what? If the Baltimore Ravens are going to beat us on Saturday night, they're going to be doing it with Lamar's arm. And mm-hmm. if he could throw for 250 yards and three touchdowns and their receivers beat our DBs and Andrews has a big game, then you tip your hat to them, but you got to commit. If you want to beat the Ravens, you got to commit to stopping the run. So you're going to see a lot of eight guys in the box, maybe even nine, because the Ravens run the ball phenomenally. But they're terrible passing. They're dead last in the NFL in passing, and they're number one in rushing. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that's not really going to change much. So take away their strength, or at least try to, and uh, you're going to have to make them beat you with his arm. So the Bills' defensive line's got a big chore out of them. They got to win the line of scrimmage. And I, the thing that the thing that sticks out in my mind is the work that the Bills have done trying to get their run defense straightened out all season long. Because the first half of the season, teams were just even teams that weren't running very well were running all over the Bills. Right, like, like that that stood out to me, and it hasn't been too much of an issue. 
in the second half. Granted, Baltimore is a little bit of a different team. They, they, in the way that they were mixing both running backs, and then you know Jackson didn't even really have to run too much, you know, later on in that game against Tennessee. But like the two backs that they were able to throw was it Dobbins and um, Gus Edwards, yeah. Edwards, Gus yeah. Edwards too. Like they, I mean, it's not even like a thunder and lightning approach. Those guys are like built the same way. They run the same sort of style and they could both turn the corner and, and take off. Like that's, it's a little frightening. Like they're, they're, they're not, you know, they're not speed backs, but they're both guys that can handle their business and they can just go. And that's, I mean, that, that's a little bit of a problem. The, I think where Baltimore is going to try to find ways to open it up is, is right up the gut. Um, and try to go at the D tackles, try to make Oliver, you know, you know, try to get Oliver, you know, get him taken out of the play and then force the linebackers to either have to pinch in and, and do that or get those, get the D backs to have to really step up. If you, if you got to force Buffalo into a 10 man box to, to stop the run, all right. You know, like if that comes down to it, then that, that's what you got to do. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. If, if you're, if you're the bills, if, if Baltimore is going to beat you, let them try to do it through the air because they, they don't have the guy, they don't have the receivers for it. No, they don't. And you know, Indy, had success running the ball. They ran for 163 this week, but I think you had to have a lot more respect for Phillip Rivers in the passing game for Indy than I think you do for Baltimore. Because if you take away that game, the Bills had went, I'm looking right now, six straight weeks without allowing more than 150 yards. They have to go all the way back to the Arizona game where they ran for 217. And frankly, more than half of that was from Kyler Murray, who ran for over 100 yards. Obviously, you don't want that to happen again Lamar Jackson, because no. he'll do that very easily. But I don't know. It, it, it just makes for a very interesting, conflicting matchup because, again, you got Baltimore, who is really good at running the ball, and you got Buffalo, who's obviously going to live and die with Josh Allen, not just his legs. I mean, not just his arm, his legs a little bit, but primarily his arm. I don't know that weather will be a major factor. I've been seeing the forecast, low 30s, maybe an inch or two of snow, some win, but nothing crazy. I don't think it's going to be anything that's like going to prohibit the football Bills' weather. offense. Yeah, it's good January football weather. And again, we I would rather not be playing the Ravens, but that's what it is. That's what it comes down to. And if you want to get to where you want to go, you're going to have to go through good teams. There are no shitty teams, like you said, except for the Steelers. I thought they really weren't a playoff team the last four or five <laughs> weeks. The injuries and the fact that they could not run the football. And I, you know, Big Ben to me, I'm getting off topic, but it's a thought that pops in my head. I'm a big boxing fan and I've watched fighters and it seems like overnight they get old in the ring, you know, in the middle of the ring, like they lose that step. They lose that, you know, that little bit of that quickness and and they just get old right in front of your eyes. Big Ben got old right in front of my eyes over the last six weeks or so because that passing game for 10, 11 weeks was borderline deadly. And then all of a sudden it was borderline garbage. And again, I don't care how many yards he threw for he threw a, a billion passes. He's just, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't scary to me. So anyway, point being is that aside from Pittsburgh, there are all good teams left in the playoffs. So it was always going to be tough uh, no matter what. You mentioned, you mentioned boxers and it tried to make me think of which boxer Big Ben the last few weeks was, was reminding me of. And it only made me start thinking of heavyweights. And, I, and it, was, it was hurting me because every other, every, any other heavyweight I can really think of, the only one that really stands out and, and it doesn't really count because he left at at the top of his game. He left when it was just kind of like, all right, no, this is done with Lennox Lewis. Yeah. Um, because he was so good. And, you know, that comes at like kind of the end of the whole heavyweight run. We're get, we could, we, I'm sure we could talk boxing for hours here. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I think of how 
Lewis handled that fight with uh, Vlad Klitschko and Klitsch, like I never saw anybody pick Lewis apart until that fight. And the only reason that fight ended was because Lewis popped him in the head and he had a huge, he had a huge mouse in his eye right? where he couldn't, he just couldn't, or he had a deep cut or something like that where he just couldn't keep fighting. But like when the ref called the fight and was just kind of like, well, this guy can't keep going. Lewis was just kind of like, Whew, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Dodged the bullet there because that dude was I, I'd never seen anybody pick Lewis apart like that until that until that time. And that reminds me of Roethlisberger this last few weeks. Like he he can't throw a ball twenty yards downfield. He can't he can't really get outside of the pocket to to, to, to you know to to get free to throw the ball. You know, he just looks I'm not going to say he looks old. I mean, I'm old comparatively here, but, but I mean, he looks slow. He does not look the same. He does not have the arm. He does, you know, doesn't help those receivers drop the ball either, but like, you know, the passes aren't as accurate. You know, the, the ball's not going where he wants it to go. It just looks like he looks like a guy who should, you know, should just say like, it's been a great run. Won some Super Bowls. Let's see ya. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that's a pretty big decision. Pittsburgh is going to have to make and see how that plays out. Uh, over the offseason. I thought of Roy Jones because he was my favorite fighter. And I'm not talking about the Roy Jones who just had that exhibition against Tyson mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. I'm talking about Roy Jones at the end of his yeah. When he came down from his prime, he never got hit. He was just, and he got old right in front of my eyes. And again, I watched all yeah. of his fights. But uh, I t- I'll tell you this. So that's this weekend. But also, this is going to feel weird to even mention this again. I'd be <laughs> remiss if I had you on the podcast and we didn't talk a little <laughs> bit of hockey. Because barring any COVID setbacks, which again, this is a day-to-day thing, and we're starting to see the NBA get hit with COVID pretty hard. I think there's a NBA game here on Monday night that's being canceled. I think Dallas Mavericks didn't have enough players. But anyway, barring that, we're going to see Buffalo Sabres regular season hockey for the first time since last March, man. I'll, uh, you're a hockey guy first and foremost, so I'm going to assume you're pretty excited about this all. Yeah, it's. I'm really intrigued to see how it's going to break down. Just because, you know, seeing the seeing different lines that Ralph's going through and, and what he's trying to do to get things figured out. I mean, there there are some parts that have me really excited, like you know, seeing Tage Thompson playing with Hall and Eichel. I think that's a great idea. I think um, I remember watching Thompson the last time we really saw him playing hockey was in Rochester in the playoffs, which which seems like an eternity ago. Uh, at this point, but he looked great and everybody was excited for the next season. And, you know, he started in Rochester and, you know, he came up and finally got a call up pretty early in the season and they got hurt stupidly at the late, you know, at the end of a game, he got like a little bit of a hit from behind and wrecked his shoulder. And, you know, it was just kind of like, Oh, that stinks. Like he, you know, this year was supposed to be a real build year for him. And you know, now he's, now he's getting a peak with that, with the, with the two premier guys. Like that's, that's pretty cool. I think, I think that's, I think that's a really good thing. And, you know, but I, I think what's what's really grabbed everybody's attention is what the hell's going on with Jeff Skinner. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think once when everybody saw Eric Stahl get added, they thought that was going to be an automatic to put those two guys together because they played together in Carolina. Well, the problem there was those guys didn't really play well together. Um, you know, compare at least compared to some of the other guys on you know on the, on those Carolina teams, but. Um, but the fact that he's, you know, he was playing, he was skating with a, basically a fourth line group the other day. It's just kind of like, all right, what's going on here? What, and it, now I think the important thing is figuring out where you get, what's the best idea of how to handle this? Because you've got a guy in Skinner who's in all, like an all, all round, his whole career has been a great even string scorer. Well, you got to score goals at even strength. 
And you've got Olsen, who everybody loves, and for good reason. Tremendous shot. He can score the goal. He can score goals a ton on the power play. Like, you, you need a guy like that. But he struggles at even strength. And to me, to me, you have to, it, it becomes a philosophical debate. Like, do you put Olsen with guys that can help him score at even strength? You know, guys like Eichel or, or guys like Stahl. Or, and, and have Skinner just, you know, skate with a couple of guys and just have him figure it out himself because he can and he's a veteran and he's done it his whole career. Or do you try to put all your, not necessarily all your eggs in one basket, but put Skinner with guys that are proven and then just overwhelm teams with that and maybe suffer with your other lines and having Olsen just kind of ride with guys that can't really distribute the puck well. I think there, there is a spot where, you know, you've got a guy that's being paid $9 million a year in Skinner. And he's, you know, after this year, he's got six more seasons. And everybody's saying like, well, maybe they can expose him to Seattle. Well, they can't. He's got a no, he's got a no move. So, like, that's not happening. Right. So, I mean, you know, you, you've got to, to me, you got to, it's not necessarily playing politics, but like, you got to keep your guy happy. You know, you got to give him minutes. You got to give him chances. And you got to put him with guys where he's not carrying all the weight. You know, like, that's, He's not a possession guy. Like he's not he's not the guy who's carrying the puck through all zones. He's he's not that that's not his style. Like he's a guy that once you're in the offensive zone, he's gonna find like those he's gonna find those open spots. He's gonna find opportunities around the net. And he's agile and he's gonna draw penalties. Like that's that's what he does. And expecting him to be some other sort of different player and or to do different things to make other lines go is I think you're asking too much. And that to me is where the problems come in with that. So it's a huge issue that Kruger's going to have to get a handle on. And I think a lot of what Ralph said the other day just does not compute uh, at all with what, you know, saying like, well, there, you know, there are things that we're still working with Jeff on. It's like, well, you had him for a whole year. What, you know, like what, what more are you working on here? Like what's like, what's the deal? So that, that to me is worrisome it's it's worrisome how that's going to get figured out because if he has another season and he scores 10 goals, you're looking at six more seasons where, you know, this guy who scored 40 for you, the, the one year is now on a contract where the first two years he scored 22, 22 goals. <laughs> like, a lot, a lot of angry fans that, too. That's Matt Molson, Kyle Pozo territory right there. So, I mean, that's, that's not where you want to be. And you certainly don't want to start talking about him like he's the next Billy Lano because who boy, that's bad. Yeah. That's what I was thinking in my mind. I'm like, a lot of fans are going to uh, turn on him. Even if it's not his fault, if he's not getting the minutes or he's not playing with guys, you can help him get the buck and score. He's going to take a, the big brunt of that. In terms of Tage Thompson, I like the fact that they're giving him a shot for lots of reasons. And one of them is frankly, I'm, you know, it, him becoming a good player, would so ease the pain of training Ryan O'Reilly. You know what I mean? It would, they're they're yeah. never, never going to win that trade, so to speak, and it's unfair to Tage Thompson to put that on him, but him becoming a pretty good player on this team, at least it would kind of lessen the, uh, you know, the burden of getting nothing. At least you would get something. You would end up getting something decent for uh, Ryan O'Reilly. I was a little bit surprised to hear that. Now, what about Cousins? Like, where do you see his role on this team, at least early on, if any? right away i would i think they got to be careful with him just because you know coming off that tournament and everything and uh i think they're i think they're going to kind of i think they might baby it a little bit just to get him more acclimated at least to start like him and quinn both like at least with cousins you can you can send him back to lethbridge and feel mostly okay with that you know once you know once the whl is ready to to get going um 
uh, you know, I don't know, how, but the, I think the question, at least for him, is how much more is he going to learn there? You know, how much more development is he going to get there if he goes back? Because honestly, the way he, put, the way he played at World Juniors, I don't, I don't think you can send him back. If you make him part of the taxi squad or if you just have him as your healthy scratch every night, you got him practicing with the team. Like, okay. Like, I mean, that works. Like you're getting him ice time with professionals, um, but he'll need those games. Like that's the, that's the important part with him is he's going to need those games. I think in Quinn, you know, when it comes to Quinn though, it's a lot more difficult um, just because I, I think ideally you want to send him back to the OHL. Um, but he's an older player there still. Like he's not necessarily overage, but I mean, he, him and him and Cousins are pretty close. In, they're a lot closer in age than two guys that were drafted a year apart should be. Um, and his, I think his role, I think it'd be much more interesting to see how he does in Ottawa without Marco Rossi um, up there to, you know, to play with him. I think you want to kind of see how that goes and how he develops without, you know, having a, a loaded team necessarily. So that that's curious, but I think with cousins, the Sabres roster looks right now like a team that could really use somebody who's a little bit more, has a bit more of an offensive touch at at 3C. And, uh, you know, Cody Eakin, I think he's shown a little bit of that in the past in Vegas where, you know, he had a 20-goal season. He was able to score there a little bit. But his advanced numbers are not fun. (laughs) Um, His advanced numbers are pretty rough. And those are on good teams. And, you know, Buffalo, I mean, we'll see how good they are. We'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how they turn out to be. But um, I, I would say if, if you're doing like a stock judgment, like stocks up, stocks down, I'd say stocks are down on Eakin just in general, um, just because you, you don't know what exactly is, is going to break down with, with, with that and how he's going to accomplish things. I think that's, that's a big problem. So I, I think with Cousins, though, you're, you're looking at him maybe playing, playing wing with Eakin, and then if he can overtake him a little bit, you know, you know, he'll, he'll take some face offs. He'll be doing stuff like that anyways. But if he can take him over, um, then I think you're doing a little bit better because at that point you're, you're looking at your fourth, your fourth center being Lazar or Eakin, which I mean, if it's, I mean, the fourth, the fourth line is already being set up basically that it should be your check line. Like that should be a Pozo Lazar and well, it would have been Gergensen's except he's, you know, he's out now, but um, Riley Shahan's probably your guy there now. So, um, is that your fourth line? Okay, fine. I think you can live with it. Um, but uh, on a third line, if Cody Eakins your third line guy, and you've got Cousins and Olsen or Skinner, like I, I don't, I don't like the idea of Eakin being the guy trying to trying to carry that line uh, as a center with center responsibilities. There, if Cousins turns out to be that guy, and you have to you have to kind of juggle what your right wings are. Okay, fine. Um, but I think I think the better thing for cousins though, is to figure out how, how far along is he going to be, how he's going to fit in. And if he's ready to go, give him, give him the world because now, now you can push him now. Uh, but if he's not ready, take your time with him, ease with him, And, you know, not, maybe not necessarily ease him the way Lindy Ruff did with Mikhail Grigorenko. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but like, just, you know, give him minutes that he can work with. Not, you know, not necessarily just make him a, a specialist and, you know, give him give him just a handful of shifts a game because that doesn't do him any good. Um, defensively, a couple things here, and I'll let you go. So you pretty much got the top six back from last year. Miller, Yoki Haru, it looks like they're going to be skating together, McCabe, Rissolanian, and then uh, 
Darlene with Montour. What are your thoughts right now on Darlene? And this has got to be obviously a very significant year. Kind of like we talked earlier about Josh Allen being the key at the end of the day to the Bills. Now, I'm not, you know, you got Eichel, you got Hall, but I feel like his development going into this year is maybe one of the biggest storylines for the Sabres. Is he going to take that next step? And can he do that playing on this team with this roster right now with a, a guy like Brandon Montour as his partner, if that ends up being the guy? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lot more encouraged to see Montour playing his correct side <laughs> first yeah. off after, after seeing a right-hand guy playing on the left side all last year and seeing his numbers just kind of fall apart. Granted, you know, it was different coach, you know, different coach and different side and different schemes and all that. Like that's, that's a bad mix for anybody, but um, I'm encouraged by it. I want to see, I want to see Darlene take the lead on that because I think if he defers to Montour, Montour will try to push, push things more. Um, and then Darlene becomes your, your fallback, like, you know, more defensively responsible guy, which I don't, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think Darlene's got more offensive um, gifts that he can lend himself. He's the guy carrying and he's the guy leading, leading the way. I think that works out a lot better, but, um, but I think if you're, if you're pairing him up with the, the stall line or the Eichel line, Often on even strength, the, that's exactly what you need. <laughs> I, I I don't really want to see Miller Miller and Yoki Haru paired up with those lines a ton, and, and I certainly don't think I need to see McCabe and Ristolainen working with those groups a lot, even though they're going to. Um, but I, I think in Darlene's case, the added weight, the added strength, um, the added confidence that's going to come with with him, you know, third third year of the league. Um, I would hope that a heart to heart has been had with, with the coaches to say like, okay, listen, you've seen, you've seen Quinn Hughes, you've seen these other guys around the league kind of take the reins. Now we're going to, it's your time. Uh, it's time for you to, it's time for you to, to, to take the rein here and, and let's go. You can't, you know, after two years in the league and, you know, granted, you know, last year, you know, it's a situation with a new coach, but, um, it's time to stop babying him now. I think it's, I think you're in a spot where you got to say, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's get it. Let's get it done. You know, he's what, 20 years old now, I think um, it's go time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's time for him to, to, to take control. And I think he's got all the skills and all the ability to do it. I think, you know, kind of playing kids, kids gloves with him still now is, is more of a detriment than anything. When you look at this team, and it's, I know it's tough because again, there's some new players and they haven't played in a long time, but realistically, what would you put for somebody who says, Hey, Joe, how do you think the Sabres are going to do this year? Like, what is your realistic floor and what is your, like your realistic ceiling for the 2021 Buffalo Sabres? Uh, the floor, they're in an awful division. First off, <laughs> like, uh, you couldn't ask for them to be in a worse division. I think, um, the, the way that they've got it set up with, you know, it's Pittsburgh, it's Philly, it's the, you know, the three New York teams, it's Boston. Um, now you're saying worse as in like the, the, the division's really good just for people out there listening. Like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, like the, <laughs> the division's wicked. I mean, they're, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm down on Pittsburgh, but they, you know, they still have Crosby and Balkans. So I'm down on them. Can you be, you know, Philly played great last year. Uh, Boston, yeah, no Chara. Okay, fine, great. Like their defense looks suspect. Okay, fine, great. Like Boston never seems to suffer any ills from losing people ever. It seems right. Um, so like that, I'm I'm not too down on Boston. Um, 
everybody's, you know, seems to be convinced the Rangers are going to be awful. I don't know. The Rangers play very up tempo. Um, and they've got, so they've got a ton of young guys to do it. Now they have the, you know, now they have Lafreniere. So like, okay, you know, maybe if they're still defensively susceptible, like that, that's an issue. Um, but Shosturkin seems like a pretty damn good goalie. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm not, you know, Rangers to me aren't a playoff team, but they're going to be pretty good. Uh, Devils probably aren't going to be great. The Islanders are going to be a pain in the ass. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't like their division at all. I think, I think the floor to me, um, there's what, seven, seven or eight teams in their division. I, for, I forget how much, but like they could be second to last. Like I think New Jersey is the only thing that keeps them, keeps them from, you know, at the, at the bottom, Sure. at the worst being, being at the bottom at the best, they could be number four. I think they, they could be number four hall, you know, hall hits his peak. They run, you know, they run with Allmark and Allmark takes over. They get their PK problems fixed. Eichel's continues to be dominant. Uh, Darlene, they, you know, they give the keys to Darlene and say, just go. Um, all those things go right. You know, Skinner, you know, Skinner has this traditional bounce back year. Um, and they, <laughs> they don't screw him up. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you know, Reinhardt and Stahl find things clicking together, and then you know they get an, a, an actual two-line attack group going. Um, they 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 could be number four, which in this case, top four teams in each division make the playoffs. So like that's that that cuts out all the wild card BS. So like just 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 finish fourth. That's all you got to do. Finish fourth and figure it out from there. But yeah, um, but I they, they can they can finish fourth. I think I think in this group they can. But you're asking you're asking some teams that have always been good to really kind of to dip out a little bit. Uh, oh, and yeah, they got to deal with Washington too. That's the team I forgot. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's not, it's not a fun, not a fun division <laughs> for them to be. <laughs> yeah. So forever, <laughs> I'm forgetting about the stinking capitals and I'm just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Ovechkin, the guy, one of the guys who's owned Buffalo his whole career. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So for everybody listening <laughs> this year, for this year only, they're in a 18 division where the top, there's no wild cards, the top four, from each make the playoffs. You name them all except Washington. Yeah, you got Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, the Islanders, Rangers, Philly, Pittsburgh, and uh Washington. So yeah, that's gonna be a pretty uh that's a yeah. tough that's a tough I, ask. But that's but that's what I mean though. Like if everything breaks right, they could get four. Because the teams that I think are automatic playoff teams are are Philly. I think Philly, Boston, and Washington are automatic. Um I'm not prepared to say Pittsburgh is because, you know, everybody loves Tristan Jari right now as a goalie, but like, I don't know. Is it that good? I don't know. The defense was pretty bad last year and now they have Cody Cece, who we know is bad. So I don't know. <laughs> are they, are they going to be any good? Like again, Crosby and Malkin, like they're great. Gensel is great. I don't yeah. know. Like, are they, you know, Crystal Tank spent, spends a lot of time hurt. How's he, you know, how's he holding up? Like that's, that's a team that's had their, that's had their little dynasty. And now, now it's starting to fall down a bit, and it's just because of age. It's not because of really anything else. I mean, some weird Jim Rutherford trades, but, um, but it's age. I mean, that's simply it's, it's that. But I mean, Washington. I mean, Ovi Ovi's going to be a free agent after the season. Not that he's going to go anywhere, but, um, but I mean, what's you know, what's a guy like him going to do in Washington you know, on a contract year? Like, okay, right. <laughs> like, okay, sure, yeah, I, I definitely would want to want to play eight games in a season against a guy, a guy like that on a contract you're chasing all time records. Yeah. Sounds fun. Sounds, sounds great. Let me, let me, let me just sign up for, for lots of games with him. But, 
Um, but I mean, like a, a lot of these teams, like that, not everybody's a shoe in. Like you know, I you know, I, I know I said Philly, Boston, and Washington are, are are basically playoff teams, but they're not shoe ins. You know, there, there's there's a lot of big question marks on on every single team in the division, but on paper, it looks it looks evil. <laughs> it just looks straight up evil for Buffalo to try to do anything. And to me that it, you know, and not to sound too much like, you know, Ralph as a, you know, a, a theorist here or anything like that, but like there's a huge opportunity to be able to, to, to force the issue on some of these aging teams to, to use the youth and the speed and the skill and say, your time is over. Now we're, we're stepping in. This is, that's where getting hall is, is a huge thing because if they hadn't, you'd be basically looking at the same Sabres roster from last year going into this. And at that point, I think everybody checks out and, you know, puts the Sabres gear back in the drawer for another year. But, um, but this is at least interesting. This is, you know, this is, there's a huge opportunity to be had. And with a short schedule, take advantage of it, man. Like they, they've been able to peel off huge win streaks two years in a row. And, you know, the last two years, if the season had ended after 56 games, they're playoff teams. So, right. <laughs> so I mean, just, just have that great first half. Of, I know it's asking a lot, but like do it again, just get to the playoffs, reset the counter. Like the bills did a few years ago. Like, you know, they needed a, they needed a weird Cincinnati play to do it, but like, just get in, reset the counter and then see what you can do from there. Like if you have to play Boston in the first round, okay. I, w- I wouldn't mind having to see Jack playing against his childhood team in a playoff situation with a chance to beat him. That sounds pretty damn good to me. Yeah. They gotta, if they got to play Philly, good. Fire up the old demons of, you know, Sabres, Flyers, playoff past and see what you can do. If they got to play Pittsburgh, I, I don't know. They handled Pittsburgh pretty well last year. I wouldn't really fear that too much. Because Washington, I think that sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, you know, and if it's anybody else in the division, like, you know, if if you got to deal with the Rangers, okay, cool. They're young, whatever. They're inexperienced too. You you can you can deal with that. If it's you know if it's the Islanders, I would hate every second of that because it would just be like the mid nineties in hockey all over again because that's how they play. But um, but yeah, like yeah, if things break right, they can they can be fourth. But at the worst, they can be seventh. Well, and for people listening too, who kind of like either maybe mentally or physically checked out of hockey because the Sabres didn't play in the playoffs. So it's been a long time. It's a 56 game schedule this year. You're playing only the teams in your division. And again, let's not nip it here. Let's just be grateful that there's going to be any hockey given the world and the society and the shape that a lot of people are in. Any hockey is, is a treat and, and it's great, but the schedule is pretty much. So they play 56 games and with like one or two exceptions, it's pretty much, I don't even want to say home and home series, they're playing teams mm-hmm. twice in a row, but it's not home and then away. It's like two games against Pittsburgh at home, and you play two games against Boston on the road, back-to-back. Back. That's the way the schedule's going to be for people listening out there. Again, last question, then I'll let you go. And I know you're just grateful to be able to watch NHL hockey again, regular season <laughs> hockey. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you think of the schedule and, and, and the way that they have it set up for this year? I think it's great. This is, this is kind of a thing that Jonathan Taves, spit around as an idea, uh, I think it was like a year or two ago. And, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of making it more like a baseball schedule. Um, I think for hockey, that's great. Like, cause that, that amps up the, the heat a little bit in these games because you know, when it's, when it's one-off games and, you know, teams are traveling after games and whatever, and you're just like, it's always on to the next game and, and hitting the road and doing that. It's tough to, to really get the blood boiling. Um, 
making it more so that it's like continual sort of like mini playoff series uh, is a good way to make sure that happens because what if, you know, some guy takes a crappy hit or if, you know, if you got a really hard fought game in that first, that first game, the next night's going to be a war like that. That to me is pretty great. And I'm a big fan of that, honestly. And, you know, and for whatever, whatever helps kind of cut down the travel and cut that, you know, and then NHL has got some pretty hard rules for, for teams on the road. Like, like you can't go anywhere. Like you go to your, you, you arrive in town, you go to your hotel, you stay there. You go to the, and the only time you're going anywhere is to go to the rink. Like that's, it's a lot tighter than what the NBA started off with. Um, so like, that's good. But um, I mean, it stinks for the players. Cause boy, <laughs> when you go into a place like Buffalo and like, you can only stay at like the, you know, not that there's anything wrong with the hotels, but like, if you're only limited to staying at like the Harbor center Marriott, like, cool, I guess. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not that exciting, but, um, but I mean, uh, but I, I, I really do like the way that this is set up though. The, 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 the kind of mini series all year long thing is great. I think it's going to really kind of amp up the emotion all year. When you're playing the same, you're playing the same seven teams all year, all season long. It's that's, that's going to make everything really wicked. And I think that's, it's going to, it's going to amp up the emotion quite a bit. I think you're going to see a lot more, you're going to see a lot more nasty games, a lot more hard, hard fought wicked games all season long, not just like on rivalry sort of things like, like, you know, Boston, Boston, Buffalo, isn't just going to be the only hard games or, you know, Buffalo Pitts or Pittsburgh or Philly. It's going to be all of them. Like that's, that, that, that to me makes it really exciting. Yeah, for sure. And I'll tell you, man, I'm, I'm excited for it. And I was down on the Sabres big time by the end of last year, but you know, they say absence makes the, the heart grow fonder because not having any hockey for the last, or at least Sabres hockey, I should say for 10 months now has me uh, very excited to see how it turns out. But Anyway, everyone, give Joe a follow on Twitter at Joe Yurden. One of my favorite dudes, man. Not just to to have on the show for podcasting purposes, but just a really, really great guy, man. Always a big time pleasure to have you on. So thanks, thanks a lot, Joe. Patrick, I always always have fun talking with you, and always always thank you for having me on. So it's uh, it's always a pleasure for me, man. Can't wait to have you back in town. All right, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. Very, very big thank you again, Joe Yurden. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Joe Yurden. Guys, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review all that fun stuff. Have a good, safe week. Do the right thing. Be back with a brand new show on Friday.